Good job, everybody. Give them a good hand if you would. Thank you very much. How are you doing tonight? Give everybody, somebody give, give everybody a hug or a high five and tell them they look good and God loves them and you love them. Hallelujah. How's the folks in the balcony? We're all doing it the guy way up there in the corner. All right. Well, happy Mother's Day to all of our moms here in Great Britain. I think our Mother's Day in America is not the same day, but I guess my mom gets two. So happy Mother's Day, Mom. She's probably watching me on the computer at home, and so I say hello uh, to her. And uh, well, I was preaching this afternoon over at one of the satellite churches, Pastor Roland's Church of Word of Life. And their building was full, and they need a building. And uh, so we need to pray that God gives our satellite churches their buildings. Amen? And uh, the right facility so they can grow and take care of all the folks they're reaching in their different uh, locations. Amen? Tonight, uh, my friend James from Germany is here. Stand up, James, so I can give you a good hand. He's a minister from Germany. Give him a good hand if you would. He's a good friend of mine. God bless you. Thank you, sir. He has a great family and a great ministry in Germany, and he's here for a few days to visit me, and I like when my friends visit. I have so much fun. Don't you like when your friends visit? Are you happy? Well, smile, sir. Don't... mm, Not so early. Not so early. All right. Praise the Lord. Well, it's going to be a good night tonight. Open your Bibles to the book of Acts, the 19th chapter where we'll start. Tonight, the bookstore is running a very great special on my Big Wigglesworth book. Uh, I took about 20 years to collect... All the unpublished Smith Wigglesworth sermons from England, America, South Africa, New Zealand, Australia, when he was in Switzerland and and over in Sweden, and put them together in this big, nice, thick book. Everybody see this big green book? It's 850 pages of all of Smith Wigglesworth's unpublished sermons. So you don't have to buy 15 small paperbacks. Just buy mine. Now, what's good about this book, the reason why I got met, because most of the Wigglesworth books, all but about four, come from me. They sneak and get my research and they produce them, which is fine. But what made me mad was they took out all of his prophecies and all of his tongues and interpretations and Wigglesworth used to sing in the middle of his service, little songs. And so when I saw these publishers publishing his sermons and take that out, well, I got mad and put them all back in. And so you'll get that in this nice big book and it's normally like 22 pounds tonight. It's 15. So you can get those done. Amen. No, I can't throw this. We have to have a miracle service. So we'll just do it like that, okay? I usually throw books, but that's a little bit too big. All right, how many were here last Sunday night? Where were the rest of you at? Were you out doing something wrong? Do we should have a repentance service here? Or everybody okay? All right, last Sunday we begin a series here on Sunday nights. It'll be finishing uh, tonight and finishing next Sunday night on what I call the Charges of St. Paul, which really is an in-depth look uh, at his time at Ephesus, uh, where he uh, pioneered a great city-ride revival. And so in chapter 18, we began last week, talked about the first power uh, that we see in Scripture in Ephesus. Uh, Alongside those few believers that were there was a young man named Apollos. He went in first to Ephesus and began to preach and to teach and to do plowing work. Uh, He probably didn't know what he was doing. Sometimes you labor in things and don't know what you're doing until you get out from it and look back on it. And you think, wow, I had a part of that. Like when some of you go back to your home countries to do things, you'll think, I was a part of KT when they did this and did this and then this. See, you don't take it 
Don't take it for granted your time here. Put value on it. Put preciousness on it. So you take everything you can while you're here, especially you that are students and you're in town. And then Acts chapter 19 starts in verse 1 where Paul comes to um, Ephesus and he finds certain disciples, about 12 men, who've been baptized according to John the Baptist. And so his first question to them was, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? That's a good Bible question for your friends that you meet that say they're Christians. They don't ask them what church you go to. Say, have you received the Holy Ghost? They can't give a good yes. Then you've got your scripture like Paul. Well, John was good, but he said, believe on the one that comes after me. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. Not British tea. <laughs> Amen. And so he got them baptized in the Holy Ghost, about verse 6 of Acts 19. And then he starts in verse 8, three months of plowing of this bold apostolic preaching and three months of night and day bold preaching. Not three-day seminar, not a three-week seminar, but three months. Could you let God take your schedule and make you go someplace for three months? Some of you can hardly get the church on time for three hours. Just a thought. We all pray, God sent a revival. Revival's work. Write that down. Revival equals work in capital letters. Because most of you just think, oh, we just want to sing songs and fall down and soak. No, that's not revival. Revival is a full-time job 24-7, seven days a week, all year long. And you get tired, but it's fun. Amen? And so for three months, he preached boldly. And verse 8, we went over that last week. And then verse 9, when you found at the end of three months, those that believed, he pulled out from those who were disbelieving and then coming against the preaching of the gospel. And verse 10, he spent two years teaching and disputing in a school called Tyrannus, so that all of Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus Christ, both Jews and Greeks. And then verse 11 happens. So always remember, God confirmed his word with signs following not a ceremony. God doesn't confirm his word by a ritual or by a ceremony or by an organized structure. He does it through signs, wonders, and miracles. Write that down. Signs, wonders, and miracles. God don't care about your ritual. He probably thinks they're ridiculous. Good evening. Are you ready for me? Should I just go on home? Are you sure? All right. God doesn't care about your ritual. He don't care about your incense, your holy water, or your routine. He don't care about that. He don't confirm the gospel according to your ceremony, ritual, or routine. He confirms his word with signs, wonders, and miracles. That's the Bible way he does it. Amen? So if you've been preaching very long or teaching and there's no signs, wonders, or miracles... You might want to check up and find out what you've been preaching. Because if it's God's word, he'll start doing verse, verse 11 to you. He came and did special miracles through the hands of Paul. So that from his body were taken handkerchiefs and aprons. And they were given to the possessed and the sick and they were healed and delivered. Has it happened to you yet? Uh, Brother Robert, no. Well, preach the right thing. Signs, wonders are going to happen to you. And then the next thing that happens in this revival, as it starts, the plow starts to work. Then, devils start coming out. Write this down. 
Where there's revival, there's always deliverance. Where there's revival manifesting, there's healing and deliverance. Not just one without the other. The power twins of manifestation. Healing and deliverance. And so these seven boys saw Paul cast out devils. Just recapping for a few minutes. And so they found a demon-possessed man and said, We want to do what Paul does. We want that kind of power. So, these little boys, probably young men, walked in and said, We command you to come out in the name of Jesus who Paul preaches. Don't do this. And the devil goes, Hmm. I know Jesus. The devil knows Jesus because Jesus beat him up on the cross and in the heart of the earth and took back the keys of death, hell, and the grave. And Paul, he said, I know, because every day Paul was awake, he made the kingdom of light go forward and the kingdom of darkness suffer. Please make demons have headaches when you wake up in the morning. Amen. The devil should start having a nervous breakdown when you have your cup of coffee. Not you, not you getting nervous because you're awake. He gets nervous because you're awake. And the devil's inside that, that, that demon-possessed man beat up seven men, ripped their clothes off, and they went streaking down the middle of Ephesus, bleeding and wounded and naked. Now, I'll get you famous real fast. And the Bible says the whole town, those that weren't saved, got scared. Those that were saved went, hallelujah. They magnified the Lord. And that's just the start of it. And before we get even further, there was a book burning session in the middle of Ephesus. Worth 50,000 pieces of silver. All those that were involved in witchcraft and the bad arts and all those things. When they got saved, <clears throat> they brought all their witchcraft and books and things that they used worth 50,000 pieces of silver and burned it in front of everybody in Ephesus. That'll get you on the BBC News. That'll make you famous. And then verse 20 happened. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. When we begin to see that the word of God begin to take over. It begin to prevail. Not just Save a few and have a few little events. Events are great, but you want the prevailing power of God's Word to take over London. Not just, not in Hillgate. We need West End, East End, South End, North End, all parts, number 10 and 11. Amen? You go, <laughs> I believe it can happen. Because what we're about to see next in tonight's lesson is when a city gets turned upside down. So verse 23 is where we start tonight. About the same time as the word of God was prevailing and growing mightily, there came no small stir about the way or about the Christian faith. The head of the union named Demetrius, a silversmith, which made silver shrines to the stupid idol Diana and made lots of money and gain unto those who were in that union, that kind of work, that craftsman. 
And Demetrius called together with all the workmen of like occupation. That's why I call him the head of the union. All those, the same kind of work, he called together. And said, sirs, you know that by this craft we have become rich people. If you want to make somebody nervous, touch their money. Or just talk about it. And they'll get real excited for the wrong reason. Moreover, verse 26, you see in here that not only at Ephesus, but almost throughout all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away. How many people? Much people. Many people. Take your pen and circle that word because that's your future. Much. I don't believe KT people are just a little small group picking people. We're much people church. We're big crowd church. We're big people, big church, big loud, in your face church. Amen? As we're in your face, then we'll drink tea. But in your face first. Yeah, you shouldn't get that. You'll get it next week. And this Paul, this Colin Dye, this Pastor Bruce, you has persuaded and turned away much people saying, here's what he said, it's not politically correct, but look at it. It wouldn't go over really nice in England, but it's still true. Paul wasn't politically correct. He was gospel correct. Hint, hint, hint. Quit being politically correct and be gospel and scripturally correct. He said, there are no gods which are made by hands of men. Uh-oh. That whole union, he absolutely walked up with his words and slapped them all. That's called not being politically correct. Because if you were politically correct, you wouldn't say that. You'd find some nice way to say that the Lord is better and he's more precious and you should consider him. Well, when you're blasting a demon prince that rules a city, he don't understand nice talk. He understands Bible talk, Bible authority, and raw, blunt faith. Amen. Amen? And so he said, there be no gods. Diana, her great magnificence, you call it, is that a god. You made her in your backyard and sold her in your front yard. That's not a god. That's a stupid little thing you put on a coffee table. But they made it up to be something great. And he said in verse 27, uh, this is in your Bible, so please read it. It's amazing what's in the Bible when you read it. It actually shocks you how, how it really says what it means and means what it says. And wants you to do the same thing. Mm. So that now not only is our occupation, our craft in danger. Uh-oh. Not politically correct. The whole silversmith industry of making Diana gods is in trouble. And to be said it not, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana should be despised and her magnificence should be destroyed. Whom all of Asia and the world worships. Hmm. And when these of the union heard this, they got angry, verse 28, and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. And the whole city was filled with confusion. 
How much of the city? The whole city. Um, I don't think Americans have a problem with that much attention. But British people do. A lot of British preachers have a problem being the face, the voice, and the person at the tip of the public spear of God's activity in a city or a nation or in the world. Because we don't want to be arrogant. Well, it's not arrogance, oh great British people. When it's God's call for you to do it, His anointing's on you to do it, and His gift is in you to do it, so do it! Amen. Notice I got three claps and a good amen. <clears throat> Let me say it again for those who went deaf for a moment. When God calls you to a certain position and a certain post and gives you the grace the anointing, the giftings, and the natural positioning, then my God, take the position. And if other people don't like it, have them leave town. (laughs) Paul would irritate the whole European continent. He'd do it. And there are people in this country who is allowing cultural attitudes to dictate their spiritual destiny. And there are men and there are women and there are couples who God has called to stand as the point personalities of the European and the UK revival and church building and changing and confrontation of the nation for good that are hiding because it's not in their makeup. Well, you can get a new makeup. God will take out of you what he did not put in you. And he'll put in you what's not in there yet if you'll let him. Good preaching, Brother Roberts. Amen. The whole city, the whole city was filled with confusion and they caught Paul's companions in travel and they rushed with one accord into the theater or the main marketplace where they all come together for big events. When Paul would have entered into the city or entered into the people, the disciples suffered him not. A certain of the chief of Asia, which were his friends, sent unto him, desiring him that he would not adventure himself into the theater. Let's stop there. Paul was not scared of a riotous crowd. His companions in travel had been captured by the city's uproar. And Paul thought, they're all in the theater. I can preach them at one time. He didn't see danger. He saw opportunity. He didn't worry about reputation. He saw an opportunity to spread the gospel message and take a giant blow at the dark prince over Ephesus. In this particular case, his friends friends prevailed with him. But notice his attitude. He was willing. He was daring. Not afraid to do that. Some therefore, verse 32, cried one thing and some another. For the assembly was confused, and more part knew not wherefore they'd come together. They didn't know what would happen. When you hit the principality over a city, and you begin to prevail with God, 
the devil sends confusion and he gets confused and his whole world starts shaking and screaming and the devil tries to intimidate through loud, boisterous activity against you. Notice that through the life of Jesus, throughout the Gospels, throughout the book of Acts, the epistles and church history, when the devil starts to lose, one of his last activities is an angerous, riotous, aggressive hit at you. That's what you should know. I'm about to win. And not go, oh, 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 uh, 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 I'm sorry. Don't apologize for winning. Step on it. Most people, why did I make you mad? Because you have a devil. Or because you're obeying the principal and you don't know any better. Don't say that. I've said it twice and it's on camera. And I'm not going to recant and take it back. Don't be scared of screaming riotous people. Laugh at them. Say, I'm winning. That's why you're angry. Persecution is an attention that acts like it's not listening. But those that are persecuting you are listening better than those that like you. It's the unseen world of your audience. Those that are out there watching. Who won't come into KT. But they'll watch. They'll listen. They'll send spies. We know you're there. <laughs> and I know you're listening. So hear me well and write it all about it on the internet please. And a riot happened. For the space of two hours. They cried great is Diana of the Ephesians. The town clerk. Verse 35 had appeased the people, and he said, Ye men of Ephesus, what man is there that knoweth not how that the city of, of the Ephesians is a worshiper of the great, God, great goddess Diana, and of the image which fell down from Jupiter? Hell, stupid, but that's what he said. Fell down from Jupiter. Please. <laughs> you know, as much as we, we laugh about that, look at all the stuff that goes on in your televisions. That goes on in our city here. In the name of what we would call witchcraft, but it has new and nicer names today. White magic and black magic. All magic is bad. I'm in white magic. All magic comes from the devil. The only power that's supposed to flow through you is gospel power that makes people good and lifts them up and makes their life better. And don't come back and bite them later. See, I've got one amen from the right over here. Better wake up and not be scared. Say what it is. And so the town clerk kept talking. Verse 36. Seeing that these things cannot be spoken against, he ought to be quiet and do nothing rashly. For ye have brought hither these men, which are either robbers of churches or blasphemers of your goddess. Wherefore, if Demetrius and all of his other little turkeys, which are with him, have a matter against any man, the law is open. And there be deputies. Let them employ and get one of them and say, hey, this thing was done and the law says this. Verse 39. But if you inquire anything concerning the other matters, it shall be determined in, in a lawful assembly. For we are in danger to be called in question for this day's uproar. There be no cause whereby we can give account of this concourse. When he had thus spoken, he dismissed the assembly. 
This was a great day in Ephesus. The revival had now broken open. And Paul had spent almost three years of his life in this city getting ready for it. He first came and found 12 people who liked John the Baptist and got them tongue-talking, Holy Ghost-filled and empowered people. If you want a revival, get the Holy Ghost inside people. Not on them, in them. Not feeling it, in them. And then he attacked the city for three months straight, 90 days of bold preaching and stirred it for the first time in that measure. Then he pulled those who were believers out of the main crowd and spent two years teaching, training, developing, building so that when the revival broke, there would be an established church ready to handle all the babies, all the questions, all the warfare, all the activities. And when everything was ready, God began to do signs and wonders and demonstrations. And the principality began to lose its hold over Ephesus. And all that day came when it finally broke through, when the word of God began to prevail. That's when the word began to be the influence more than the devil's influence. And that time began to turn and the devil, the principality got mad. And he got all those he could control and all those he could manipulate and stirred them up and thought he could chase and destroy what God had been building. But it just made it more famous and more popular. This is a story of a citywide revival. A citywide happening. Not just an event in a city, but the whole city had been rearranged. The whole city had been disturbed in a right way and the devil was nervous because he was losing. Now people say, has that ever happened again? I'm glad you ask. Because it doesn't just happen in Bible days. It happens throughout history all the time. The problem is you don't know because you don't read it. And people don't tell you. So I'm going to tell you. I want to build inside of you tonight faith for what this vision of this church is. For the city of London and the world for Christ. We don't just want to have a nice little Nutted Hill Gate Church with a great memory of George Jeffries and some great happenings in the 80s and 90s. If that's it, then I quit. Not after that. I'm after your vision statement. London and the world for Christ. First of all, if you get London, the whole world will hear about it because the whole world's here. I saw half of them today coming across the city. They're all having coffee and tea and they need to comb their hair. Nineteen fifty, a man named Lester Summerall was told by Jesus to leave his church in Indiana and move to Manila, Philippines, nineteen fifteen. To build him a church in Manila, Philippines. So he took his wife and his three boys that were barely teenagers and took his journey from America and left his nice church in South Bend. And went to the Philippines. At that particular time, the Philippine nation 
was mainly a Catholic nation. It did not have much other success in the sense of Christianity or Protestant Christianity. It was mainly either a superstitious, idol-worshipping country or Catholic. There was a few Methodists that came and built schools and, you know, a few things like that. They were nice, but the dominant power of faith was the devil on the dark side and the Catholic on the other side. One afternoon, the radio announcer in Manila came on the radio, had been down to one of the local prisons, had recorded a young girl who would start screaming at the top of her lungs for what they thought was nothing but hysterics until they saw on her hand, her neck, her arms, her legs, her stomach area, teeth marks. She's been bitten. And she'd scream like she was dying. And the warden and the nurses and the doctor of the prison could see marks of teeth and fangs in her body and would draw blood and there'd be saliva there because something was biting her. They called for the medical doctor and the specialist came and the demons in that young girl rose up and cursed him and he died a few days after the curse. So when that happened, they felt they needed a Catholic priest to help deal with the, the demon. So they called for one of the Catholic priests that they knew and he got cursed and he died. Remember, ceremony and ritual don't work. Amen. Holy water from the tap does not work. Amen. Even oil from the Holy Land don't work either. And so fear came over the prison. The mayor of Manila was called and he became concerned because two important people had died and this girl was screaming once or twice or more sometimes a day and the whole prison was scared and they didn't know what to do because they saw these teeth marks and blood would be drawn and the news radio news reporter had gone out there and recorded her screaming and the mayor had asked the radio newscaster to make an appeal he said when you're on the radio today, tell them that if there's anybody out that can help us, please call my office. That's pretty serious when the mayor asks for anybody. Because I'm sure you'll get anybody. Except in a case like this. Anybody's like that usually run from the real thing. And so, Lester Summerall was building his church. It wasn't working too good. He only had a few members. Wasn't growing, it was tough, not prevailing. But if you knew Brother Summerall, he's a very persistent type of personality. And he had the radio on that night, and he heard that girl scream when they played it. Rah! Just screamed the top of her lungs, and the radio news broadcaster made the appeal that the mayor asked. And he said to himself while he was working on his sermon, That's a devil. Somebody should go cast that devil out of her. And the Lord said, Will you go cast the devil out of her? He goes, no, I'm building you a church. Let somebody else do it. You have to know his personality. He's not like you. 
is kind of a gruff person. You have to know him. He's very nice, but he'll tell you in two seconds flat the answers to all your questions. And he'll say it away where you won't forget it. Believe me, I've received it. <laughs> and so the, the broadcast was aired a little bit later, a few more hours later, again. And he was still in his house and had the radio on and the broadcast news broadcast came on again. And they aired the same screaming of the girl, screaming. And, and, and Brother Summerall said again, he goes, uh, uh, somebody should go take care of that devil and that girl so that girl can be free. And the Lord said to him, would you go cast that devil out of her and take care of her? He goes, no, Lord, I'm building you a church, and that's more important. Let one of your other servants take care of this demon-possessed girl. I'm building you a great church. And then the Lord said, now watch this. I have nobody else. Do you know sometimes when God asks you something, that at that moment in that geographical location, you might be the only one God has at that moment to fix the situation. So don't underestimate God tapping on your heart and asking you to do something. It just might be. At that moment, you're the only one that God has in that position to deal with that. He said, when the Lord said that to me, I broke and repented for not being more sensitive the first time he said that. So he called the mayor's office. <clears throat> and the mayor picked up the phone after he went through about four or five secretaries. I like secretaries, but some of them need deliverance themselves. <laughs> so the mayor came on the phone. He said, now, Reverend, do you understand that the first two people we sent out there to help her, we buried him? If you knew Brother Summerall, you can hear him say this. He goes, I don't die easy. How do you die? Have you determined how you die or not? Have you determined how you live? How you deal with things? He goes, I don't die easy. I die when I'm supposed to. But do you is the question. Some of you may not. He goes, well, well, whenever. Well, you'll be dead soon. Whenever comes faster than when you're supposed to. And Brother Summerall told the mayor, I don't die easy. He goes, and I know what's wrong with that girl. The mayor goes, well, what's wrong with her? He goes, well, she has demons that has possessed her. And Jesus can set her free. And if you'll give me permission, I'll go down there and I'll set the, the, the girl free, the prison free, and I'll help you get happy. He says, well, I just want to make sure you understand. The first two people we sit down there, we buried. And he goes, it's real difficult for us to have an American die. <laughs> Especially in 1950 in the Philippines. He says, um, but since you're the only one that called. That, that encourages your heart a little bit. Since you're the only one that called, I'll give you permission. He said, be at the prison tomorrow at a certain time. And I will have arranged for you to enter the prison and go and see this young girl named Carlita. Carlita was a hooker, prostitute. Had been picked up off the streets of Manila a few nights before. 
And so she was put in prison. The first night she was in prison, she said, she saw a dark cloud all by itself come floating through the window of the prison where she was at. And when it got real close to her, it turned into two creatures that began to bite her. One small one and one big one that would bite her. Someone didn't know that. But even if he did, it wouldn't bother him. It shouldn't bother you either. So he goes to the prison at the time that was arranged. And he walks in and meets the warden or the head of the prison. And the warden says, now reverend, the first two people we sent here to help her, we buried. We don't want to bury an American. It's not good for our Philippine reputation. Are you sure you want to do this? Do you, are you sure you know what you're doing? He goes, yes, I'm sure. He goes, I'll not die. You will not die. And nobody else in this prison will die. The powers that are biting her will leave and you'll all be free. Yeah. And they didn't believe him. But since the mayor said, let him in, they have to obey the mayor. So the mayor and the warden had caught all the newspapers and they were there too. Because it got all over Manila. If you go into Manila today and go to the newspapers and look up this time period, it's on the front pages of the Manila newspaper. I've seen it myself. I went there and researched it myself. And they talk about it. And so all the newspaper men were there and Dr. Summerall said, I, I didn't ask for newspaper men. I just going to go pray for her. I brought my Bible and, and warden, since you're the head man here and the medical doctor is here, you, you, go, you go with us. But I don't know about all of them. He goes, sir, uh, we need them in there because the whole city is scared now because they've been telling everybody every day what's happening here. And we got to tell them what happens if the American lives or dies. And we want the reporters to give a true account if you make it or if you die. It's real encouraging to your heart. He said, all right, let them in. Fine. So they walk into where Carlita is. She's in a room with probably several other, where several other lady inmates were, but they all left now. She's by herself. You don't want to sleep next to a girl that's being bitten by unseen things. Because your brain will say, you're next. <laughs> True? That's why all of a sudden, all the prisoners were real good. All of a sudden, they all had their prayer beads. You know, they were Catholics. Their prayer beads, and they all did Hail Marys and put out their dead saints and did everything they could to protect themselves. A dead saint won't protect you. Only Jesus and his word and the blood of Christ will protect you. That belongs to you. So he goes into the, the cell where Carlita is, and he's there for a few moments and talks to her. And tries to communicate with her. And she starts screaming. And he says, I saw teeth marks in her hands and on her arms and on her chest and in her neck and on her face. I saw her legs and she screamed and screamed. Like she was dying because of the pain. He said, they bit her so deep, it drew blood. The wounds of some of the teeth marks had blood with them. He said, then she'd fall on her bed or on the floor and gasp for air and before she get all of her breath back they'd bite her again he said I reached out my hands and 
I command those devils, come out of her in Jesus' name. He said, the first two times I did that, she got louder. She screamed more and the teeth marks came faster. What do you do? What do you do when some of that happens to you? Say, well, I guess I better quit and go back home. When you start a war, you stay in it like a good soldier, and a good soldier is one that wins. You stay with it till victory comes. Don't ever be surprised at what the devil says or does to shock you. Shock him by not being shocked. Just go, you're nuts. Don't even be faced by what the devil does. Just look at him and laugh or roll your eyes. Please. You're the idiot that got kicked out of heaven. You think I'm going to obey you? Think I'm going to be scared of you? I mean, Lucifer, you were the top archangel in heaven and you're so stupid you got kicked out. And then she just beat you up real good and took your keys. And gave them to us. So that battle starts raging between Brother Sobral and those two evil spirits biting Carlita. And it goes for several hours. The news media <laughs> taking pictures. And then Brother Sobral said, I felt myself get tired. And I felt like. I need to rest and pray and fast for a couple of days and come back and finish it. So he said, when I got her peaceful for that day, he said, I knew in my spirit they hadn't been totally broken. They'd been damaged, but they'd not been broken and they'd not totally left. He goes, but I felt tired in my body and I need to go pray some more. He goes, I knew that these powers were ruling powers over Manila. He goes, they weren't just Little headache demons that run around and jump on you and bite your ears or something. You know, most people fight demons about that big. They think they're this big. But most of them are what I call, what grandma called, little headache spirits. They're like little monkeys and they jump on you and squeak at you. And you, ah, you fall apart and your life comes to an end. Oh, please. They're only about that big. Mind them and run them off in Jesus' name. Quit being scared of them. So he said to the warden and the newspaper people, and he said, tell the mayor, I'm not done. He said, but we have uh, made a, a great round and, and have gone, come a long ways. I'm going to go rest and, and fast and pray for two, or I think he said three days. And I'll be back and I'll finish the job. Don't bug me until then. You, you can't have people bug you when you're preparing for battles. Especially if they don't know what's going on. They sent word to him a couple of times through a letter, through a little telegram that she was screaming again. And then he just put it in his Bible and said, three days. I'm not going to do it until I'm ready. Because when I go back, it has to be total victory. So the third morning comes. The newspapers for those three days have been given reports. First round, devil loses. Next round on a certain day. So they're all out the prison waiting for Brother Summerall to come in with the cameras and stuff. And they walk back in with him. As soon as they walked back in to the cell where Carlita was, she starts screaming again and tearing at like invisible things, trying to pull 
them off of her because she could see them at times. She could see them and she'd try to grab them and pull them off of her. He said, when I walked in and, and gave my morning greeting to Carlita and to the few people that were there and asked how everybody was before I could even hear all the remarks, she began to scream and tear at the air trying to pull those creatures off of it that were biting her. He said they tried to have sex with her too. So I stood there and thought, well, the battle started fast. Didn't take long. So he pulled up a little chair next to her bed where she was pulling at these spirits and screaming, they're hurting me, they're hurting me, and screaming and seeing the teeth marks and different things they were doing to her. He grabbed her head and took charge of those spirits. If you fast for a couple of days and you wait on Jesus to make sure there's less of you and more of him in you and you get filled up and build yourself up, your authority is a little stronger, the more powerful, the more potent. He'd been fasting and praying with one of his preacher friends that had come with him this time and walked in there, took less than an hour to finally break the power of those two demons. When he broke the power and he broke it like he did every other kind of demon. You break the power of the devil the same way, whether it's a small devil or a big devil. In Jesus' name, I command you, go, come out, leave, in Jesus' name. That's how you do with it. He said, I kept telling that devil what to do in the name of Jesus and not giving up. Activating the power and the blood of Jesus. And all of a sudden, she screamed, and fell. Like she was dead. The warden thought she died because, you know, he's familiar with death. The last two had come and died. People kept dying in his prison. That's one way to lose your job. Went over and looked at her. She was still breathing. No, she's not dead. She's free. So I went over and picked her up, set her up back on the bed, and led her into her born-again experience of accepting Jesus, and got her spirit filled, and Got everybody else in the prison that day for the spirit, same spirit for too. And the power of the devil in Carlitum that was working with the prince, the principality, and that other power that was working in that girl was broken that day. And the mayor had sent his car for the summer all. Yeah, give the Lord a clap off into that. <laughs> sent a car. <clears throat> sent a car for the, for the reverend, the American reverend. And rushed him straight to his office as he received a phone call from the warden and the medical doctor saying, uh, the reverend has won. The devil is dead. <laughs> well, um, it's not quite right theology, but you get the point. I wish the devil was dead. And the newspaper said, the devil is dead. Uh, it wasn't quite correct theology, but everybody got the point. Well, they meant the devil lost. And so the mayor was so happy that the fear and that torturing power that had come through that incident over Manila had been broken off that little girl and off the city. Now the city was no longer in fear of this strange force that was working. The mayor goes, what can I do to thank you? Always have an answer. Summer girl goes, 
You see the big city square here, out here where you have this big open space? Can I have it for six weeks? And hold a citywide revival free of charge. Always get it free. And I want you to have all the newspaper people to tell them all that they'll come to this city square twice a day for six weeks. I will be here and I will tell them the great victory that God has and the great victory God has for them. In six weeks, 150,000 people was born again. 150,000 Filipinos. Now that's, that's outstanding, but that's not the rest of the story. When you break the power of the prince, bam, like Paul did in Ephesus, like Summerall did for this incident here, it opened the door to the evangelical Christians and the Pentecostal Christians to now find an entrance into the heart of the Filipino people to where today the Pentecostals and the evangelicals have grown at such high rates of speed that they're almost outdoing the Catholic dominion and the darkness dominion in that nation. It is the only Asian nation that declares itself Christian. It's the Philippine nation. So it's because of a deliverance. Because of a man like you. A man like you. Who was sitting in his parsonage. Trying to build Jesus. A nice good sized church. In Manila. And the Lord knocked on his heart. And said I need you. To go to Villa Bed Prison and help a young little hooker named Carlita, who, for some reason, two evil spirits, dominant forces in that city, decided to bite and afflict a young little Filipino girl. And they flew through a window in the prison. And begin to bite her. And begin to bite her. And it took one gospel believing person who knew who they were in Christ and know the power they have in the name of Jesus and the power they have over all the works of the devil. To set a girl free and broke the power of the prince's control through that deliverance to where 150,000 Filipinos got saved in six weeks revival services. It, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Six weeks. And today, the Philippine nation is still being blessed by the power that it was broken over it in the 1950s by a guy that preached on this platform, Lester Summerall. He said, but Brother Roberts, he's special, and you are too. Brother Roberts, he's a special person. No, 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 you're special too. Quit removing yourself from the equation of God using you 
of doing something tremendous in your family, in your neighborhood, in this city, or in the city you may be at in the future. Say, well, who am I? You're a believer. You're in God's hands. You're the apple of his eye. He believes in you. He empowers you. He's for you. He's willing to use you if you'll obey him. If you'll just do it. If you'll just do it. Two brothers got saved during the Welsh Revival. Stephen and George. One of them built this church, or bought this church, and built a church in it. Challenged this country. Built the Pentecostal denomination. First in this country. Mr. Jeffries. England is not absent with this kind of citywide nation-taking events. In the 1800s, there's a man named Charles Spurgeon. Who built one of England's first mega churches? You had when you got saved, they'd give you a piece of paper of when you could come back to church because they had to keep seats for the sinners to come in. Can you imagine that there were so many people trying to go to the Metropolitan Church here, the pastor by Charles Spurgeon? That if you became a member, if you got saved, became a member, they would tell you you can't come to church, but in three weeks. On the second service on Sunday morning is when you can come back. See you then. Can you imagine that in London? The cabs in those days were pulled by horses. On Sunday morning, it's known in London history that the majority of the cab drivers would scream, Over to Charlie's place, meaning Charles Spurgeon's church. Because most people... Looking for a cab on Sunday morning in that time was heading for Charles Spurgeon's church in London. At the same time, Charles Spurgeon built that great church here. There was another man named William Booth who did more than Charles Spurgeon did. Now, Charles Spurgeon was no slack of a preacher. He's a great, great preacher. You should read his sermons if you ever become a preacher. One Sunday morning, you don't know what to preach. Just preach one of his sermons. They'll work. I did that in the beginning when I started preaching. I preached Wesley and Spurgeon sermons. They thought they were mine. But if you ever get a place on a Sunday morning, and you can't quite figure out what to preach, just preach one of Charles Spurgeon sermons. It'll be okay. They'll get saved, and it'll be a good sermon. William Booth did more for England when he was alive than Mr. Spurgeon did, even though Spurgeon was... A great man. <clears throat> Char, um, William Booth did not just change the church world. He changed your social structure in this country too. He got you the 10 o'clock morning break. Did you know that? So tomorrow at 10 o'clock or 10 there, whenever you have your break, you have your little cup of tea at 10, and you've been working since 9 Or whenever you go to work. We have your morning break. Your afternoon break. You know who got that for you? Mr. Booth. You know who changed the child labor laws? It was William Booth. Who saw little children in the slums of East London. Who were dying. 
early deaths, living terrible lives. And he and the Salvation Army said this should not be happening to children. There should be a certain age they can start work and then before then they shouldn't do it. When William Booth died, it was like when Princess Diana died in this city. I was in London when Princess Diana was buried. A great loss that day. It's the first time I ever saw London. You go out down the streets of London and there was nobody in the streets. Just the wind blowing trash. I thought, I can't believe this. It was the first time I ever saw a nation mourn. It's when Princess Diana died. I was here during that, 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 that day at her funeral. But it was like when William Booth died, it was the same type of thing that happened. Because he had changed the nation so powerfully for the gospel and for social reform. God can still do it again. Amen. Through you, maybe. Through your children, maybe. Maybe through KT. Maybe in the next horizon of this great church. In the next season of this great church. It might be a deliverance that one of you do that sparks a holy fire that goes through the city. It might be a great outstanding miracle like what Wigglesworth had at different cities in this town, in this, in this country. It could be any one of those things. Tonight's message was mainly to encourage you to believe for the whole city. The Ephesus was a whole city revival. And I told you a story from 1950 that turned a whole city upside down and opened a whole nation. There are Filipinos here that could probably tell you some of the stories themselves they heard from being there. God can take a city through you. God can change a whole nation through you. If you'll be willing to give yourself to it with no shame and no fear. Stand up on your feet. Can I have our musicians to come please? Hallelujah. Did you enjoy that little message? Yes. Wasn't very deep. Just a simple message. See what happened in Ephesus? And God can do it again. God can do it again. I could have told you about how Dowie took Chicago. How Amy took L.A. You got all kinds of things in history. A woman divorced twice became the governor of Los Angeles. In the 1920s and 30s, she had a tithe of the city a member of her church. When Dowie was alive in Chicago, you couldn't become mayor unless he approved you. So all the politicians at one time made fun of the healing evangelist named Dowie in Chicago. By the time he got done, they're all asking him out for dinner to try to get his influence. Abraham Lincoln's niece went to Dowie and got healed. Buffalo Bill, one of Americans, one of the famous Americans, went there and got prayed for and got healed. Over 150 Pentecostals that helped lead the Pentecostal revival was trained under Dowie and his ministry. One afternoon, when Dowie was in Chicago, he read a newspaper that a man was being put to death for a violent, murderous crime that he'd committed. And the last words the man said that the newspapers reported before he was hung. He said, I never had a chance to get right. And that so hurt Dr. Dowie, Pastor Dowie's heart. Because the city of Chicago was his 
his responsibility. He was the spiritual governor of it. He fell on his knees in his home in Chicago after reading up the newspapers and repented that somebody in the city where he was placed by God did not have a chance to get right before he went into eternity. He got off his knees a few hours later with a vision from heaven. And he decided that would never happen again in his city as long as he was alive. He trained groups of what he called the 70 from the scriptures of 70s. He had groups of 70s he trained out of his church. Church for about seven, eight thousand at that time. And everybody in Chicago had a personal visit from somebody from his church. Given one of the church magazines an invitation to come to church, offered salvation and prayer for healing. Everybody in Chicago received a personal house visit from a member of his church so no one could ever say again they'd not heard about Jesus how to get saved and maybe to heal them and help them and there was at least a church in town that if they wanted to not get prayer that time they could come later and get it and find out where it was can you imagine if everybody in Notting Hill got a visit just from KT people aggressive strategic invasion God's going to give leaders around the world everybody in Chicago one afternoon I was having a cup of coffee it's not 9 o'clock yet I can tell you the story he's having a cup of coffee and he was reading some magazines and newspaper from New York City about all the crime and all the false religions that were picking up power and momentum in New York City. He was in the middle of America. And the Lord said to him, what are you going to do about that? He says, Lord, you put me in Chicago. That's another man's responsibility in New York. Watch this. And the Lord said, I don't have a man that will do it. How many times has God asked somebody something? And for whatever reason, they said no. Catherine Kuhlman said she was God's fourth choice for the anointing that she carried. I always have thought, who was number one? And how stupid you were to say no. And then number two said no. And then number three said no. And the red-headed divorce woman said yes. And look what she got. Woo! There's hope for you. If you'll just say yes and mean it. So he put down his cup of coffee. And began to talk to God in his heart. They didn't have planes in those days. They had trains. He called and worked out and negotiated for special trains from our national train company in America to be hired to carry about 7,000 people that have, was from his ministry to New York City to take it. He rented Madison Square Garden and only seated 25,000 then. The New York newspapers 
recorded that one afternoon a hundred thousand people was trying to get into Madison Square Garden to hear him preach because they knocked on every door in New York City and made a way and he sent his prayer warriors as we call them in our vernacular to all the bad spiritual places to pray against them have you done that lately? Do you walk by bad places in London and go, don't get on me? Or do you attack it and curse it and command it to go out of business in Jesus' name? What do you do about things you see every day on your way to work, on your way home, where you have dinner? You just go, oh well. You can't be an oh well person. You must be an active person. Do what you know and what you can yourself today. Spiritually and naturally. We're coming into a time where there's an anointing that's beginning to come again into the earth. To take cities. To take cities. And it's going to happen in Europe, in UK, in America. South America, in Asia, in Africa, it's going to happen in our lifetime. Maybe through you. Maybe through you. What God has done, He can do it again. And He can do it in a beautiful way. Let's put our hands up toward heaven tonight and let's ask God to use us. Make yourself available tonight. Tell God you're available. Whatever He needs you to do, whether it's big or small, known or unknown, it's okay with you. Whatever it is, whatever it is, make yourself available tonight. Jesus, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. Whatever you want me to say, I'll say it. I make myself available. I make myself available. I make myself available. Come on. Lift up your voice to heaven. And with sincerity of heart. Make yourself available. Make yourself available. To do whatever he needs you to do. With no fear. No shame. No embarrassment. Jesus will hear you and take you at your word. He will hear you and take you at your word. Hallelujah. take yourself off the back seat and put yourself back on the front seat of faith I'll obey I will do whatever you need me to do great or small known or unknown it doesn't matter 
I take myself off the back seat and do nothing and put myself on the front seat to do anything anywhere anytime Jesus use us Jesus use us doctors he's used housewives he's used grandfathers who made themselves available for whatever for whatever for whatever God wants he'll use you too he'll use you too Let's sing something. You got a song? Scrib a mic. You got one? Let's worship God just for a moment. God's not done right now. We're just going to worship Him and let Him keep working. God's working in some of your hearts tonight. He's not mad at you, but you may be feeling the gravity of your resistance you've had in your heart for a while. Let it go and become willing and obedient. Become willing and obedient tonight. Let the Spirit of God arrest you, challenge you, 